Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex BTN.com. We're back on the Take 10 Podcast with another episode after another week off. Uh, I was out of town the last week and was unable to pull an episode together, but uh, we're back now and we're back with a full and uh, I think really entertaining episode that you'll enjoy. Um, it's another three-part episode and it's uh, full of good stuff and a lot of variety um, as we've been doing here on the Take 10 Podcast all along but especially lately we've um added a new segment if you've been listening lately uh with one of our producers colleen degman and we also have uh, been doing our stat head segments with harold shelton as well and those two segments uh come after our, our main interview as usual and it's no different this week so another three-part episode and uh we got a guest this week that i i think is a uh, really probably one of our bigger guests we've had um it's a guy who is a super bowl champion a pro bowler and a former purdue boilermaker and i'll stop uh, teasing it and we'll introduce him it's uh cliff averill a champion with the seattle seahawks won super bowl 48 with them and uh, went to two super bowls uh he lost the infamous malcolm butler interception when they didn't give it to marshawn lynch on the two yard line or whatever it was in super bowl 49 so Cliff, you're listening to the intro. Sorry I had to bring it up, but uh, Cliff was a great player, obviously, for a number of years in the NFL with the Lions and the Seahawks, and a great player at Purdue as well as part of that den of defensive ends. And uh, unfortunately, his career ended a little early due to an injury, but uh, he's still very active in the NFL community, was down uh, in Atlanta for the Super Bowl, and is working in Seattle as, as a media member and still very close to that Seattle Seahawks organization. So got a great perspective from cliff on what super bowl week is like what it was like this year what it was like when he was a, a player and what the aftermath of winning a super bowl is like um which is very timely obviously this week with uh, the patriots celebrating yet another super bowl victory so cliff had some great stories from his nfl days his championship experiences and his uh time at purdue as well and he also offered some uh, purdue football I guess observations as uh, that program continues to rise under Jeff Brom. So, great interview with Cliff Averill coming right up. And we also, like I mentioned, have a stat head segment with Harold Shelton following that. And our call for the culture segment with producer Colleen Degnan. Um, we've introduced that in the last month or so where Colleen updates us on everything relevant in pop culture and ties it into our Big Ten discussions here. So, jam-packed episode once again. And uh, glad to be back in the saddle here on the Take 10 Podcast. Before we get to those interviews, just a quick reminder, you can find the the show and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, or on our YouTube channel. We uh, have all the episodes available to stream stream there as well. And you can subscribe to Big Ten Network on YouTube to uh, get those on a regular basis. So subscribe, rate, review the episodes if you haven't already. And if you want to do more than just stream, uh, you can do that by subscribing and you won't miss an episode uh on those platforms so those reminders out of the way let's get to our first interview with super bowl champion pro bowler purdue boilermaker cliff averill it's on the take 10 podcast and that interview starts right now Very pleased to be joined by a Super Bowl champion with the Seattle Seahawks. He's part of Purdue's den of defensive ends. It's Cliff Averill. Cliff, how's it going, sir? I am well. I am well. How are you? I'm doing great. And, you know, this week's kind of weird because for football fans like myself, it's, it's a little bittersweet. Football's over, you know, with the Super Bowl in the rearview mirror. But uh, you, you were down in Atlanta last week for the festivities. So I'm curious kind of what, what goes into that experience for a former, and in, in your case, a recent Super Bowl champion. Is it a good time down there? Uh, it was great, but you know, I was actually down there working, so I have my own radio show that I do here in Seattle, and they flew us out there uh, for, for Super Bowl week and doing that whole media road thing, um, which was different for me because I'm used to being on the other side of things uh, as far as for, you know, being interviewed, and I was doing an interviewing, uh, which was different but fun. It was like a big reunion for me, honestly. I got to see a lot of my guys, a lot of guys I played with, a lot of the veterans that were bets to me when I was young that I got to meet and kind of have dinner with and, and hang out. So it was just a great, great week just to, to get around all the fellas. Yeah. I saw you were doing quite a bit. Like you're on good morning football, some of the really high profile yeah. shows. So you were kind of on both sides of that media aisle. Um, yeah. Like you said, I'm sure you had a ton of people to catch up with. So 
aside from your experience, like leading up to your Super Bowl uh, festivities as a player, was it almost more tiring to do the uh, the media rounds and be on the media side of things? No, no, it's not because you kind of know what to expect going, you know, as a media person, right? You, you kind of expect, you know, I already knew and had an itinerary of, of different things that I that I was going to do. As a player, it's a little different because, one, you don't not too many guys other than Brady, actually, and Grunk, maybe, that get to experience it multiple, multiple times, you know? Um, so the second time around the Super Bowl, because obviously we went back to back, uh, you kind of knew what to expect. But at the same time, you still have a game to play. You still have a – it's still business, you know. So uh, it, it's just a little different because you have more more things you have to attend to than a normal week as, a, as an athlete. So when you were an athlete down there, was there anything that ever got on your nerves with the whole media obligation side of things? And now that you're on the other side, you kind of realize things are different? Or, or did you always keep a, the kind of the same perspective on both sides of things? I keep the same perspective. Like, I, I like being a player uh, – the days are just that much longer. You know, you have a regular work day, but then you have media obligations afterwards that take up another hour, hour and a half on top of, you know, you're flying your family in and you got to get their hotel situated. You got to kind of got to make sure everybody's okay. So it's just more on your plate as a player uh, in comparison to, like I said, uh, just being a media guy where you kind of just know what your schedule is going to be for me. I kind of understand. So when we can't get guys on our show or whatever, it's like, hey, those guys are tired. Like, I understand. So if they're turning guys down, don't take it personal. Just understand that they're dealing with a lot. Yeah, and from following on social media, you know, looking on Instagram and all that, it looked like things were uh, pretty live down there all week. I'm sure you had time to enjoy yourself in the, the social circles, right? Oh, most definitely. Most. I mean, you're in Atlanta, a fun city to be in. And again, just being around all the old heads and, and being around all the guys just in general, you know, you get, you know, you're, you're at some of these different parties, you're meeting some of these other celebs and, and finding out that they're big fans of yours, just like you're a fan of theirs and all that good stuff. It's just a great time to just be able to network as well. Yeah. And obviously I, I've never played football, but I know the, uh, partying side can get kind of tiring. So that's why I asked if it was a little more difficult, but, uh, I got to ask, did you run into Johnny Hecker, the Rams punter down there, for those who don't know that story. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. But you know what? Me and Johnny, we're good now. He's actually come on my show a couple of times. He's from Washington. And, uh, you know, we, we, we had a discussion. I know a lot of people may have seen it because it went viral with the whole, you know, me picking on – well, him picking on me first and foremost and me kind of barking back and kind of, you know, punking him a little bit on the football field. But uh, we're, we're in good space now. He's a good dude. He's a heck of a punter. Um, but I didn't get to see him while I was down there. Yeah, you said you're good now, but I was curious because I couldn't really tell watching the highlight of when you know he kind of took a cheap shot on you, then you and Michael Bennett scared him on the next punt. Was it actually that serious in the moment? Like, were you guys actually about to get him back? Uh, I was. Uh, I, and Mike <laughs> B definitely was trying to get back at him because uh, Mike B is like he he has that that big r- brother soul about him. So he. You know, he's not letting anybody mess with me and vice versa. But initially, yes, we were definitely trying to punk him. We were definitely trying to get after him because it was a blindside hit from a punter. Like, you don't expect that from a punter. You know, you expect punters to punt and keep it pushing. Don't, don't try to get too physical now because this is what we do, you know. So we were trying to get back at him and trying to, try to scare him a little bit. So now you guys are both uh, Super Bowl record holders. He's got the record for the longest punt. You got the uh, first play of the game, safety. So you guys are in the, in the same company in that sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. One more question about the media rounds you, you made. Is there any favorite interviewees that you caught up with? Anyone interesting you talked to that you might not have expected? Um, just, I'm sure you saw a ton of people down there. Uh, yeah, no, we met quite a few guys. But um, I guess for, as far as for interviews, I would say, you know, I have my guy Bruce Urban, who, who was on the Super Bowl team with us, who always is interesting. But also my guy uh, Rob Nikovich, I played with him at Purdue. And he played for the Patriots. Actually, we played them in the in the Super Bowl, uh, the, the the second Super Bowl, 2014 Super Bowl. So just getting back with him and just being able to talk about you know the Patriots culture and talking about you know what what it is like to, to play for Bill Belichick and having Tom Brady on your team. You know, just some interesting stuff and just hearing his side of side of things and his point of view. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of boiler football fans are listening right now and are happy to hear that. And on that note, we got to talk about the game itself because. A lot of people are saying it's one of the worst Super Bowls ever. I, I think I tend to agree with that sentiment. Uh, but you're a defensive guy, you know, so a 13-3 to final between 
uh, Patriots and Rams might be appealing to a guy like you. So I want to get your thoughts. Do you find that game entertaining to watch or not? Exactly, exactly. Like, for me, being a defensive player, like, I, I appreciate defense. And I think that's something people, for whatever reason, everybody wants to see the high-scoring games and all that stuff. Well, then you just don't need a defense out there, you know? But for me, I thought it was it was interesting. Now, there was there's some sloppy play here and there, but for the most part, you know, I'm watching the defensive line play, and, and I'm paying attention to some of what some of the guys are doing. I thought they were playing some really good ball. They just – had a great game plan for both sides of the ball, honestly, for the for the Patriots and um, for for the Rams. I thought both sides played really well on defense. The guys up front did their thing. It was really about the team that 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 can hold on the longest. And and obviously the Patriots kind of broke broke the Rams down towards the end. Yeah, I'm a Bears fan, so you know I'm a fan of defense. And and when things were blowing up this NFL season, like with the Rams and the Chiefs and the hundred point games. I was, yeah. I was not so sure, you know, that the league was really going that way. So I'm not that surprised that it was a defensive struggle. Um, and speaking of defense, I brought it up earlier, but you forced the opening safety on the first play of the game in Super Bowl 48 when you guys beat the Denver Broncos. Which that's a play for you know some lucky gamblers out there. That's like an all time <laughs> miracle. So did you ever hear from anyone like who maybe benefited financially from that historic? Opening score in the aftermath. You know what? I never thought about that 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 piece. Uh, But I did hear some stories about. I think it was. I think it was only like one or two guys that actually bet on the first play being a the first score being a safety actually, and made some really really good money off of it. But I never got to meet them or anything like that. But um, you know, lucky them, I guess. (laughs) You know, because who who would have thought? You know, the first score would have been a. Nobody really would have thought that, you know, would have been a safety on the first play. So yeah, it's a messy. For those guys. It's a messy thing to talk about with current players, but you know, now it's like you might deserve a little cut of that. Uh, you you <laughs> feel me? Thousand to one odds or whatever. I, I, hey, let me. I, I don't even want much. I want like five, five, seven percent of that earnings because I'm sure it was a lot of money. That's fair. Um, so I know you know a lot of current New England Patriots have been in this spot before, but I'm sure there's plenty on that roster that are experiencing this for the first time. So if you could. Can you just kind of walk us through the aftermath of a Super Bowl win that, you know, some of those guys right now are experiencing. What was the first 48 hours, first week like after you guys won uh, Super Bowl 48? First 48 hours is no sleep. You partying, you're partying, you, 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 you talk to your wife and you party some more. <laughs> they party with you. You know, it's a, it was a great time, man. It's, it's, and then for, for me, at least, it was, it was a great time because I genuinely liked all the guys on my team. Like I really had a great relationship with all those guys. So, uh, literally from the right after the game, you start turning up, you start having some fun, music blasting in the locker rooms, you get showered, head back to the hotel. The team usually has a party, and um, you know they'll bring some celeb in. You know Drake. I think we had Drake that year um, coming. You know party with us, kind of perform for us as well. And then we left and went and party into the city, uh, into New York. And party basically all night long until time to fly back out. Party on the plane, fell asleep on the plane, woke up and tried to party some more uh, in Seattle. So it was just a lot of partying, just enjoying because just enjoying it one, but then realizing like for me, my career started zero and sixteen. So for me, it was a big deal. Like I started off so terrible, yet I was still one of the top teams. I was the last team standing at the end of that game. So. You know, it was just a lot of emotions there, but just enjoying the process and enjoying the moment because because of how my career started. Yeah, I read your Players' Tribune article about that ensuing celebration and how you guys won in New York City, which I'm sure, you know, that's definitely one of the top cities to uh, win a Super Bowl in. So I was curious, yeah. if you had to pick any NFL city or even like a, an American city that doesn't have a team like a Las Vegas to win a Super Bowl in just for the celebration, uh, which place would it be? Ooh, oh, man. Oh, Obviously, obviously New York, but uh, that doesn't have a team. I think Vegas would be the ultimate turn-up city uh, to, to win the Super Bowl in and and just have fun afterwards. I just don't know if you can focus the week before right. going to the Super Bowl, before playing in the game, being in Vegas. But I think Vegas would probably be that city that, that would be the craziest out of all of them. Yeah, and that was uh, the Capitals in the NHL, I think, won in Vegas last year. So that's actually been done by uh, – it looked like they had a good time, obviously, with their uh, Stanley Cup celebration. So it has been done. Oh, There's yeah, a blueprint no. for it. 
Yeah, but those guys, they, they're on a different level when it comes down to partying. You know, those guys can drink. <laughs> they can drink their behinds off. And they get to take the trophy everywhere with them and drink out of the trophy and all that good stuff. That is true. That is true. Um, so before we move on to some Purdue talk, Cliff, I just want to ask about your day-to-day now that you're out of the league and have been out of the league for a full season now. How did you spend this past season consuming the NFL? Did you watch it or did you do something else with your Sundays? No, no, I watch I watch a lot of Seahawks ball, man. I, I still got a lot of great friends on that team. You know, Russell Wilson's my guy, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. I mean, the list goes on. Doug Baldwin, I'm still cool with a lot of these guys. So I went to every single home game this year. They hooked me up, of course. <laughs> but I went to every single home game this year um, just to show love, to be there for the guys. But also with the young D linemen. You know, I still – I'm texting them during halftime. Like, hey, bro, look at this. You know, hey – you know, you need to work on this. Don't don't stop moving your feet on certain plays or whatnot. Trying to be a coach from a distance. I, I like to say it's a consultant. I'm not really a coach. I like I like to be a consultant of some sort for the younger players. Uh, but that's how I spent most of my time. And then I have my own radio show that, that I'm actually heading to right now from 10 to 1 uh, here on K, uh, here in Seattle, Sports Talk Radio, where I talk about, you know, a little bit of everything from the Seahawks to the Mariners to even the there's a soccer team here. Um, just, you know, just talking about sports and just talking about things that I love. Yeah, so obviously you're still very connected to the sport and the game. And it seems like you're you're very connected to Purdue as well, your alma mater. Um, yes. And one reason I know that is because I saw on their official, you know, social media platforms you were promoting your foundation, the Cliff Averill Family Foundation. So how did that relationship with Purdue come about to amplify your foundation? And what have you done with your foundation um, you know, just in a charitable way. Well, well, my connection with Purdue has always been the same. You know, I have nothing but love for Purdue and, and a lot of guys there. Uh, there was a, a stretch there during my career where I hadn't gone. I didn't go back for like four years because I just get busy. But like I went to the spring game this past year. I took my oldest son with me, uh, kind of gave him a tour of campus, which looks completely different from when I was there. Um, you know, so I just like to go back and, and, and one, inspire some of the young kids that are there, but also try to let them know, hey, this is what they expect if you are looking to go to the NFL. But let's keep these grades up, you know, just in case it doesn't work out type of situation. But then uh, my foundation as well. Like I, I've had my foundation for the last six years where it's, it's, it, the mission is geared towards juvenile diabetes, but also the education system in Haiti. We're, we're in the process right now of building an elementary school in Haiti. Um, you know, that's where my parents are from. So I kind of want to give back and, and try to, you know, give some of those kids hope. When did you go back to, or when did you go to Haiti for the first time and visit, uh, you know, where your parents are from? Uh, I used to, honestly, growing up, I used to go every, every year up until about the age of 15. Then I kind of stopped going. I didn't go back until I turned 30. So there was about a 15 year drought where I hadn't gone back. But I, I've been numerous times as a, as a kid, and, and I try to go annually now. We're, we're actually in the process of planning our trip there uh, for this year to go check out the school. What's the interaction like just with uh, the people there, and especially now with your charitable work? What kind of reception do you get when you, when you go back uh, to Haiti? It's, it's awesome, man. It's awesome to, one, just be able to show them that, hey, uh, you know, another Haitian kid, that's in the states that's trying to figure things out and trying to uh you know figure out this pro this this thing called life out but he's coming back to give back and hopefully change the, the path of, of some of these other kids you know there's so many athletes in haiti man like great athletes but they just don't have the opportunity they don't have the they don't have they're not fortunate enough to to have you know the opportunities to be able to play on a, on a, you know, on a college team or into the pros because of the circumstances that they're in. But, you know, there's 35 Haitians in the NFL right now, which is, which is crazy. and probably the most amongst any, anybody else outside of America. And, and that just shows you the type of athletes that we have, but the kids, man, they're very receptive to everything. They're, they're, they're smart. They're athletic. It's just great to give back to those kids. Well, it's awesome that you're getting back and, you know, doing your part in, in that part of the world, especially, um, you know, some of the struggles that that country has seen. Um, and you mentioned also getting back to Purdue, especially more recently, and seeing the changes on campus there. How jealous are you of uh, that new football facility and all the, the amenities they got down there now? <laughs> oh, man, very jealous, man. They got all kinds of great stuff going on, man. The new facility is amazing. Um, 
they show a little bit of love to some of the vets. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that piece, you know, because they, they got pictures of the, the dens, uh, the defensive ends and, and some stuff like that. But, um, you know, I'm happy for the university. It's kind of one of those situations they have to do it, too, to keep up with all the other big schools, right? You know, the Alabamas, the Texas A&M, they're spending $350 million every every few years so you got to compete so i'm happy that we're in that in that phase now where we can compete from a facility standpoint as well yeah i've seen that mural on the wall that you're on in that lobby and it's part of that facility that honestly is up there with the ohio states and michigan's um mm-hmm. Nebraska's, you know all the best facilities in the big 10 and uh you're right the, the purdue has done their part to, to keep up so my question for you from a program perspective is is what does purdue now need to do to keep up on the field because they've established themselves as you know, relevant now nationally. They, they upset Ohio State and have had a couple of good seasons, yeah. but they also kind of showed where that gap still exists in the bowl game loss against Auburn. So what do you think needs to get done, and what's the next step for Purdue football uh, going forward? I think they just need to – one, I think I think uh, Coach Brown is doing a great job of getting the right guys there. Um, you know, they, they had the one uh, freshman, I forget his name, but he was All-American. All Rondell Moore, yeah. Like, yeah, he's playing some outstanding ball. So you can, you know, once you get a guy like that and you get a couple other pieces, you know, things will kind of fall in line because more more of the top recruits will want to go there once they start seeing, you know, uh, these All Americans. And then, oh, you're beating Ohio State, you're beating some of these other schools, and, and so you're looking, like you're you're on point, you're on pace to, to being great. So some kids might want to be a part of that process of changing changing the you know the, the way things have been but i think coach again is doing a great job and the next step is just being more consistent you can't beat ohio state and then lose to you know uh i don't know whoever they lost to the following week you know you just you just gotta be more consistent in being able to play up to that competition exactly and uh before i let you go cliff just want to pick your brain and see if you have any memories that stand out as most vivid from your time there to this day, uh, whether it's a big game or time with your teammates, is there anything that, that rises up to, you know, maybe not a Super Bowl level, but something that sticks with you all these years later? Oh, man. I mean, I tell people this all the time. Although I've accomplished, you know, a lot of different things in the NFL, being in the NFL, uh, but Purdue was the best four years of my life. And, and I say that because I got to meet so many guys. I got to grow up. Uh, you know, and, and meet, like I said, and, and friends that I will be my friends forever. You know, guys that I've met from Stanford Kegler to Bernard Pollard, Ray Edwards. I mean, the list, Anthony Spencer, the list goes on and on of, of all the guys that, that will be my friends forever. So I, the biggest thing I took from Purdue, honestly, was just uh, and, and learn how to cope and deal with different people. You know, it's, it's not a particular, I guess, event that happened other than just me maturing into a man while I was there and having a lot of fun doing it. All right. Well said, Cliff. Really appreciate your time. You've been uh, very generous. Uh, everyone check out the Cliff Averill Family Foundation that we touched on earlier. I believe it's uh, Foundation.org, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Please go check it out. All right, man. We'll continue to follow you in all your endeavors uh, and continue to follow your work out in Seattle. Thanks a lot, Cliff. I appreciate you having me. All right, thanks once again to Cliff for joining me. Really great dude to talk to. Uh, some awesome stories out of him, and obviously remarkable guy off the field as well with his uh, foundation helping all the uh, the youth in the United States and in Haiti. Um, definitely guy to keep up with, keep an eye on, and uh, consider giving as well to his foundation if you can. All right, moving on now to our stat head segment we do every week with BTN researcher Harold Shelton where we go behind the numbers of Big Ten sports. Obviously this is basketball season so we go uh, full hoops in this episode and take a uh, zoomed out picture of the conference and and break down what's working for some teams, what's plaguing some others and uh, what the uh, the outlook is like. We get into mid-February here in the middle of college basketball season. So good stuff with H coming up and we'll get right to it. It's another StatHead segment with BTN researcher Harold Shelton. Starts right now. All right, back in the lab for our regular StatHead segment with Harold Shelton, our BTN researcher. H, it's been a couple weeks. I was out of town last week, so uh, I was following from afar, but 
Update me on what's been going on because I feel like there's been uh, some trends in both directions in, in Big Ten basketball the last couple weeks. Yeah, it's the ebbs and flows of conference play, especially in a competitive league. You know, we all thought that it was a two-team race at the top with the Michigan schools. Uh, it's clearly not the case now that uh, Purdue has made their way into the mix and Wisconsin's now tied with Michigan State after the Spartans lost three in a row. And so you've had the middle kind of solidifying themselves and really pushing the top teams, and it's made for it's going to make for a really interesting race the last month. Yeah, it should be a really fun stretch run, and obviously, I think the big story here is the rise of Purdue and the regression a little bit of Michigan State. Because a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about you know, Michigan State's on this 13-game winning streak; they've won 20-something conference games in a row, but now they've lost three in a row. With you being an alum, I feel like I can get the most clear-eyed perspective and um, you know an inside look at what's going on. So what do you think is plaguing the Spartans at this point? Why have they dropped three straight, especially the teams like Indiana and Illinois that uh, weren't expected to compete with them? Uh, effort. I think effort's a lot of, to do with it. Um, no shame in losing at Purdue, uh, especially third game of the week. Purdue playing much better. Uh, you know, probably shouldn't have gone down by 20-plus in an effort to try to, you know, make the comeback even harder. Mm-hmm. I and mean, they did get it to, I want to say, five before Purdue eventually held on. But then you have a week off. You're playing the Indiana team. They're struggling. They lose their arguably their best player in the first half. Uh, not a good rebounding team, and you get killed on the glass. Then if that's not enough, you play an Illinois team. Now, granted, their style is different, and Michigan State has – problem with turnovers so that kind of played in Illinois hands but 17 first half turnovers obviously not a recipe for success and you know the Michigan State fought back actually took a lead but three-point defense and you know second chance points kind of did them in again um, you know obviously they're one of the best rebounding teams and usually are under Tom Izzo but they've been out rebounded by more than seven a game during this three-game losing streak so I mean, I know we can get into, you know, all of these different metrics and whatnot, but when a team that's known for beating you up on the glass is getting beat up, that speaks to effort to me. Yeah, and that was the biggest surprise, I think, in that Illinois game, especially. I didn't get a chance to see the Indiana one, but credit to Illinois because this is a team that hasn't won a game like that in years until they did against Maryland, until they get it, did against Michigan State. Like, they would get maybe a lead, maybe even a lead late, but then they would get punched in the mouth and like Michigan State took that three-point lead, they would just shrink and not be able to, you know, come out and win that game. But at the end you saw, you know, that they, they counterpunched there and that's, you know, a sign of a program. I think it's turning around a little bit and it's starting to get a new identity. But back to Michigan State, how do you fix some of those those problems? Like is it as simple as Nick Ward just playing better? Is it changing up I don't think you'll see a lot of teams like Illinois that pressure like that, but is it maybe having some stronger second options emerge? How do you fix what's what's wrong with them uh, in the middle of a three-game losing streak? Uh, well, I think offensively they've still played well enough to win at least two of the games. Um, but three-point defense obviously has been a huge issue. I want to say before the three-game losing streak, you know, teams – weren't even getting to 30% from three, and they've given up 45% from three during the three-game losing streak. So some of that you know, could just be miscommunication on switches, bad closeouts. Uh, they've just really had trouble securing rebounds cleanly. There's been several times where a guy, the ball just bounces off guys and goes out of bounds, and then whoever they're playing, they wind up getting an open three off the inbounds or an open layup. So I think a lot of it is just is mental – it's effort. Those are things they should be able to clean up, but they got to do it soon. I mean, they play a tough Minnesota team who has, you know, one of the best rebounders in the country in Jordan Murphy, and then you go to Wisconsin after that. So you got to get it fixed pretty quick. This isn't a league that forgives. Yeah, in this Big Ten season, we've seen teams that hit a rough patch and some have continued to slide. We've seen teams that hit a rough patch and bounce back, like Wisconsin. They've really run out the storm. They're in the mix now for a Big Ten title, um, along with the teams we talked about. Michigan, who's just who's been pretty consistent. They've lost twice now um, after that long undefeated stretch. My question for you is, with Michigan and Purdue now neck and neck at the top, who do you think the favorite is, especially considering Purdue's very favorable schedule down the stretch? Uh, I would say Purdue uh, is the favorite to win it. I think most of it is because of schedule. I mean, I do think they are good and they have 
like their their role players are really buying in and they have an identity. But we also saw you know, they were down 13 at home to Minnesota. They needed to rally to beat Penn State. So I think the fact that the schedule helps them, though, they're done playing Michigan State. They're done playing Michigan. They're done playing Wisconsin. And Michigan Michigan State still have to play each other twice. And Michigan still has to play Wisconsin. So those teams are just going to get losses. If Purdue can find a way to win at Maryland, I think they're a clear favorite. Mm-hmm. That, that game's, I believe, next week on our air. But – uh, that that's a chance for them to lose, but I don't see too many others on that schedule. And it's wild because we talked about it before, but Purdue was not sitting pretty at all earlier in the year. They were only a couple games over 500 entering Big Ten play, and I was you know very concerned about their chance to even make the NCAA tournament. Here they are with maybe the best chance to win the league, and it's crazy because I was looking at their Ken Palm. Obviously, you know we know their schedule is favorable. They're predicted to win out on Ken Palm, so I, I don't think they'll do that. But like you said, all bets are off if they win that. Maryland game, especially with how they've been playing. That offense is rolling. And I don't know how sustainable, you know, the three-point shooting is, but, I mean, they've been the second most efficient team in the country offensively during the seven-game win streak. Mm-hmm. I think Gonzaga's been the only team that's more efficient. Ryan Klein's hitting, like, 58% of his threes <laughs> during the yeah. seven-game win streak, so it's not just Carson. I mean, they're getting it from Klein. They're getting it from Trevion Williams. They're getting defense and energy from Harms. They're getting it from Aaron Wheeler. I mean, they're getting it all over the place. It's weird because we're kind of seeing the inverse um, of last season, how it played out. You know, Purdue got off to this great start last year, had the Michigan State-type winning streak where they won, you know, 18-19. I can't remember what it was exactly, but they won double-digit games in a row, then hit that three-game losing skid, and they were basically out of the Big Ten race from there on out. Um, And Michigan State was a team that won this year. Michigan State and Purdue's roles have kind of flipped. I don't know if you you noticed that. I'm sure you did, just following the, the ebbs and flows of the league, like you said. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Like, I mean, Michigan State lost a couple of games early in January, you know, and everybody kind of panicked for a while, you know, after they got blown out at Ohio State and then Michigan won convincingly in the Breslin Center and then Michigan State ran the table and after, you know, Purdue kind of stumbled down the stretch. Uh, I don't know if we'll see that again, but I'll be curious to see if this goes down to the final weekend like it did mm-hmm. a year ago, and I want to see how many teams wind up uh, you know, being in that mix. I mean, we all thought that the two Michigan-Michigan State games would decide everything, and that might not even be for first place at this point. Do you think Maryland-Wisconsin will be in that mix at the end, or do you think it'll be a three-team race if you had to project out at this point? Um, I think it'll just be three. That changes if Wisconsin wins in Ann Arbor this yep. weekend. Uh, but I think even a split still gets them four losses, and two, that would be two games behind Purdue and that just would be hard to catch. That Wisconsin-Michigan rematch, that's uh, Saturday, right? Yep, that'll, Saturday be, that'll be interesting Harper. to see. Uh, Michigan's out for revenge, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So in that game, what what took, I guess, Michigan out of the game last time? They didn't look very good at all in Madison. Was it more home crowd or was it something Wisconsin did specifically? Do you think that, that Michigan can maybe counteract this time around? Uh, it's one of those things where matchups really determine a lot. I mean, John Beeline in his entire Michigan career has just had trouble against Wisconsin. I want to say he's 5-18 and 18 mm-hmm. all the time against Wisconsin. Wow. So it's just one of those things where the Badgers really match up well. You know, they slow the game down. You know, they, they get the shots that they want. And for as good as Michigan is, they still have trouble scoring the ball. Iggy had a bad game that yeah, game Iggy was scoreless. Uh, I want to say John Teske was probably their best player. You know, Jordan Poole had his issues. Mm-hmm. Matthews was just okay. Uh, obviously, Michigan will try to turn the tables this weekend. All right, so moving on a little bit, even zooming out a little more, the hot talk throughout you know December and early January when the Big Ten was looking really strong, and they still look strong, but um, I guess deeper is a better better way to describe it. The Big Ten was you know, talked about as having potentially ten teams in the NCAA tournament um, by you know not just us, but. Howie Schwab and all these other bracketologists, Joe Lenardi maybe, I'm not sure how many had him, but it was a, a realistic possibility. Now I think uh, it scaled back a little bit. So what do you think, if not 10, what's a realistic um, prognostication for how many teams could get in? Who's, who's in the mix right now? It's not that much less, probably eight or nine, right? Yeah, I, I still think nine is possible. Um, Nebraska... You know, with the Copeland injury, they just looked completely out of sorts, and they were kind of looking out of sorts even before that. Right. Losing uh, to Rutgers and Ohio State, I guess that's when Copeland got hurt, but those two 
made the margin for error really slim. Right, and now you know they lose at Illinois, they get blown out at home by Maryland, and Maryland didn't even play well. Right, and so you know they've lost six in a row. The whole team looks shell shocked. They're already thin as it is. Kind of hard to see them turning around. But I would say if Indiana can find a way to get some some home wins. Mm-hmm protect that home court against some good teams they might have just enough to get in uh minnesota it'll be interesting i mean they, they have a tough schedule down the stretch they're the one that has the worst net ranking of all of the teams in the right. mix even though they're what 16 and As 7 Patino's pointed out you know he's he's questioned it and because i test i think they're an ncaa tournament team for sure and especially in this climate where there's not uh you know a whole lot going on in a conference like the Pac-12 or in some of the other conferences. So I agree. That's going to be an interesting team to watch. Them and Ohio State, I think, are the two that could put the Big Ten over the top into having a record-breaking bid year. Right, because, I mean, we've had seven. Seven's the record. We've done mm-hmm. that ten times, but we've never gone above seven. I do think that'll happen. It's just a matter of whether it's eight or nine. All right, sounds good. And uh, looking, you know, even further, I guess not further out, to, but right before Selection Sunday, um, with kind of the month on the calendar date creeping up here, the start of the Big Ten tournament. Um, you know, it's too early to talk about seeding and all that because it's going to be crazy down the stretch. But I, I just want to get your thoughts on the overall outlook this year, especially with like we've seen Rutgers win a record amount of Big Ten games, Illinois show that they can beat the top three or four teams in the Big Ten, and you know teams like Nebraska that are going to be playing on Wednesday. It's looking like. Uh, having you know a great start to the year and, and use of their shell shock, but y- you just never know. So, what do you think in big picture as we uh, you know kind of look at the Big Ten tournament? It's returned to Chicago. I know we're very excited to have it back here. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll definitely be fun to have it here, and I'll be curious to see how Illinois winds up finishing because if that team has some momentum going in and they get the home crowd behind them, if they play a team you know that's not used to that style. And, you know, they get sped up and that home crowd could get into it. I think that could be a tough out for a lot of teams. I really think a lot of it is going to depend on matchups more so than normal. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's one great team that you can just look at and say, well, they're definitely the favorite. I mean, you you have to take it to account Michigan's win streak in this thing. Right. John Beeline clearly knows what he's doing in this They know the formula for that. Exactly. But say if they play Iowa – I mean, that might be a matchup that... They almost lost to them last year. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those things where they play them or Wisconsin, it might be a problem. But, you know, they match up better with Purdue and Michigan State. It's Michigan State mm-hmm. had no issues with Iowa both times. But right. then, you know, they lose to Indiana or Illinois. It's just one of those things where the matchups, I really think, could decide the early matchups, not even, you know, before... I'd say, like, quarterfinals... And maybe even second round will wind up probably deciding who wins the whole thing. Yeah, I'm just looking at the standings. And, and if I'm, like, Indiana, even Ohio State, Illinois, Rutgers, like, you just got to do whatever you can this last month of the year to get out of that Wednesday game. Because yeah. I think that's a death sentence. You know, exactly. like, it, five games in five days is, is absurd. I think, did UConn do it maybe that one right. year? But, like, who else but is going to really pro on that Yeah, team. you have Kemba Walker. I don't, <laughs> I don't see, like, really many Kemba Walkers. Maybe a, a Carson Edwards is a good comp there. Um, but he's not going to need to play five, five and five coming up. So I think you know, like Illinois Rutgers this weekend is a good example. Like the winner of that could play themselves out of the Wednesday game. If you're Northwestern, you know, play yourself out of that Wednesday game this last month of the year because it's you know it, it's not good when you're playing at four o'clock on the Wednesday and uh, two thousand people are there. You know, exactly. And not only that, and we've seen it even with Rutgers last year. You know, they made the run and got to the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. and Kind of ran out of gas. Juice. Yep, the second half comes, they run out of gas. We saw it with Penn State, you know, a couple years before that, where teams have a chance to win a game or two playing on Wednesday. But usually they play that third game against the much better team. They put up a fight for a half mm-hmm. or maybe 30 minutes, and they run out of gas. I mean, five wins in five days is really, really tough for anybody. Right. And I'm glad you brought up Michigan because we didn't talk about them all that much, but, you know, looking at this standings they're, they're still 21 and 2 they've had a great year you know they haven't looked invincible lately but i would not be surprised at all to see a three-peat so no not at all i mean clear he clearly has a formula defense travels so i wouldn't be shocked if they wound up winning it again but you know got a whole month before that we get to that point right all right well a lot of big picture stuff today you know it's it's harder to get into the games themselves when they are coming so quick and right. you know 
and uh, pretty much every day we got Big Ten games this year with the 20-game schedule. So uh, it was fun talking about it. We'll link back up probably next week, and uh, it's home stretch coming up here. It's, uh, it's exciting. should be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and then I'm also looking forward to Saturday. We're getting the uh, NCAA Top 16 yeah, reveal. Yeah, forgot about that. And so you know, we'll find out know just how high a lot of these big 10 teams are and then we can kind of make some evaluations based off of that too. yeah we can chat about that next week because was it last year that the big 10 didn't have any was it was that uh, yeah, right so, okay yeah. yeah so i think that'll change this upcoming weekend uh, as long as they got their heads on straight in indy um so that'll be a good uh, good talking point next week glad you brought that up oh yeah no problem Looking all right to it. all right we'll catch up no thanks problem. man all right shout out as always to harold uh always fun catching up with him Best in the business when it comes to talking Big Ten hoops, and uh, you heard it there. You heard why. Dude knows his stuff, and uh, he's great at sprinkling in all the relevant stats that you need in a, in a numbers-oriented segment like that. So thanks, H. For our final segment of the episode, we'll kick it over to Colleen Degnan, our, uh, I guess, former and current assistant producer and now current talent as well here on the show for our call for the culture segment she'll update us on everything pop culture you know music entertainment in this case a lot of super bowl talk with the ads and um you know some some relevant social media insight as well and she's she's got us covered on that on that front and we tied into some big 10 sports as well so without uh, further ado let's toss it over to colleen degnan it's call for the culture it starts right now All right, back again with Colleen. It's another call for the culture segment. Colleen, it's been a couple of weeks, so there's plenty to get to. First of all, how you doing? Did you miss me last week? I did. Happy birthday. Thanks. Belated birthday at this point, but I appreciate it. Another year wiser. You missed the polar vor- vortex, so lucky you. Yeah. It's weird. I was out of town. I was in a warmer climate out in, uh, in Vegas and Arizona, so I was smart in the sense that I got away from the negative 20-degree temps and the negative... 40, 50 wind chill and only observe that from afar. But there's a small part of me that is a little sad that I did not get to live that with you guys. So what did I miss? Tell me. You true Midwesterner would say that. It was ridiculous. I mean, you couldn't go outside for more than 10 minutes, they said, without getting frostbite or something insane. But I dare not venture out of my apartment for quite actually 36 hours. You guys had a issue at your apartment, didn't you? Oh my gosh. It was ridiculous, Alex. Our heat was somehow not getting circulated into our unit. And they had weeks to fix that or prep for this. And they said, oh no, we, this is unprecedented weather. It's Midwest. I feel like that should be accounted for. But yeah, we didn't have heat. So my roommate and I were bundled up in beanies and hats and multiple layers for a couple days. So we're very, we're very happy now that that's been addressed. Well, and it was a strange like version of FOMO for me because I was seeing on Instagram stories, Snap stories of all you guys, you know, freezing your t-shirts on the balcony and doing the water, the boiling water toss, turning into vapor. And you know, it's a big deal when, you know, you're 2000 miles away and you're seeing on the national news or the local news out in uh, Vegas that Chicago is experiencing record temps. That's how you know when it's gone national that it's crazy. So A lot of my home friends even reached out and were like, are you alive? Are Your you Cali okay? Friends, yeah. yeah, so made it through. All right, and we're, we're through, and I was, you know, out of um, the office, but I was paying attention to Big Ten basketball the whole time, and I, I, the last few days I've been back and obviously been paying even closer attention and I think the theme right now is chaos. The Big Ten is nuts. Um, your Badgers have steadied the ship and have actually been playing really, really well. But it's just been wild. I mean, what, what's it been? Uh, what's it been like on the ground here? I mean, same to you. Congrats on your Fighting Illini upset. Hey, you know, I I'm not gonna take any you know joy in it because I am the you know, the unbiased uh, right, opinionator right, 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 here. Right, right. Well, to but to my you know to my my family and and friends who are uh, many of them are Illini fans I give them a shout out for kind of a resurgence of Illinois basketball in the last couple of weeks it's been very interesting to see especially because that was a team that you know was pretty much left for dead a program left for dead and looked sort of hopeless you know heading into late January and they've been able to win four Big Ten games in the last few weeks and have knocked off uh, two top 15 teams which has been you know remarkable for the turnaround of that program and we'll see if they can keep it going but 
just had Harold Shelton in here to record the stat head segment, and he was uh, obviously you know concerned about his Spartans a little bit. So I appreciate you you know giving uh, Brad Underwood's boys a shout out, and I got to give your team a shout out. Like I said, Wisconsin just last night got a little revenge on Minnesota. You guys. You guys in Minnesota this year, it's been a weird It's been a rough dynamic. year. Yeah. We're getting through it. I think we're coming out on top, and especially for Ethan Happ, he went undefeated at the barn in his collegiate career for Wisconsin. Well, first you guys lost the Axe in football, which okay. hasn't happened in 15 years. We talked about it. We don't to bring that up. And then lost at Cole Center. So last night had to be pretty sweet for you. It was great, but more so, Ethan Happ showed a little bit of cockiness after the game. Yeah, how about that? Blowing kisses to the student section that was chirping him the whole game. I loved it. And in his post-game interview with Chrisman, he just owned it, too. He was asked about it, and he's like, yeah, they were chirping me the whole game, so just decided to say thanks for uh, coming and watching me play. So I love it. I love yeah, it. Ethan, I'm all in. Ethan Happ going villain. I'm glad that you pointed that out, that he owned it, because a lot of players will be like, you know, yeah, I that's between me and you know them, or just will deny it, but he, he straight up owned it, like you said. And he's been a guy that uh, I've enjoyed, you know, getting to know his like personality a little bit, whether it's through interviews we've had with him or seeing you know his interviews with other BTN personalities. Like he's got a really funny and engaging personality and you know he sang for us at Media Days. You guys have a good one and he's he's like an all time badger that you can, you know, follow Kind of like a Frank Kaminsky type that, you know, beyond his Badger days, you guys will, I'm sure, get a cake out of. So. Yes, exactly. we got to cherish cherish the remaining time we have with him. So Super Bowl week also. Um, we're, we're in the aftermath here. Big story of the last, you know, 10 to 14 days or so has been the Super Bowl. And everything surrounding it, all the hoopla and the Patriots winning again. Um yeah, I'm not happy about it. I don't know about you. I mean, it was boring. That's, like, the been the main storyline. But I think a lot of people have also been pointing out some of the ads that were occurring during the Super Bowl. I think one thing that's interesting, too, you know, the game doesn't really deserve to be talked about much because, like you said, it was boring. But with how Super Bowl ads have evolved over the years, even in our lifetimes, just, like, with everything so digital now, um, how the commercial is not even really the thing. It's kind of the social media reaction to it. So I know a few commercials made waves um, this past weekend. I don't know if you had any favorites that jumped out to you. Well, first of all, this year in general, the cost for a Super Bowl ad in Super Bowl 53 was $5.25 million Wow! for a 30-second spot. So, I mean... Let that sink in. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And really, you're paying for that, not only that, but like the, like I said, the social media reaction. And... It can backfire, right? Like, if you put out a dud and then everyone on social media is clowning you, like, that $5.5 million or whatever might not be that well spent. But I think there are some that played well, not only on the on the big screen, but on the uh, on the, the little screen as well. Right. Well, everyone was obviously talking about the NFL 100 ad, which was great, featuring so many former great players. And, and some former Big Ten players in there, too. We had Saquon, right? He was in it. Um, Dick Buckus, former... Tom Brady. Illini legend. <laughs> and then, of course, Tom Brady, who was, you know, everywhere for, for the Super Bowl. And that one, it's it's funny because the NFL, I think, has a reputation of being just stiff and not really brand conscious. Totally. And, but I do think they've done a better job of engaging their fans. And that type of commercial just shows that, you know, they, they were on point, at least in that regard. Well, yeah. that one is, I think, almost unanimously everyone's favorite, right? That was definitely up there, and I definitely want to give a nice shout-out to the agency, 72 and Sunny, who produced it, because I think a lot of people eclipse the fact of who's actually making this, who are the content creators, they're so innovative and one-of-a-kind, and so if you're listening, 72 and Sunny, great job. That's so, uh, you know, mid-20s, like, uh, millennial of you, because, you know, I'm sure plenty of our... uh, not maybe not friends, but acquaintances work at ad agencies, especially in Chicago, For right? Sure. This is a big ad agency city. So And then I wanted to definitely give a nice shout out to another agency, Goodby Silverstein and Partners or G S and P. They crushed the ads. They had three incredible ads. Did you do you obviously I don't know which ones they Okay, so they had did. the Buble Bubbly ad, okay. which is a huge LaCroix competitor. Okay. And Arguably better, so good on them. And then they had the Pepsi ad with Steve Carell and Lil John and Cardi B. I thought the Pepsi one was definitely one of the most clever ones because I knew the campaign was coming. I saw it in social media right. leading up to it, but it's so relatable because whenever you ask for 
a Coke or whatever, Midwest soda versus pop, whatever, when you ask for it at a restaurant, it's, is Pepsi okay? And, you know, that's something that we might not even think about, but this ad agency was able to latch on to and turn into a hashtag, Pepsi's more than okay, and then Steve Carell doing the, what did he say, oh, Kurt, or whatever. Yeah, like. <laughs> trying to impersonate both of them with um, their catchphrases. So, Steve Carell, we hope you find your own. And Cardi B, you mentioned, was uh, everywhere during Super Bowl week, except for the halftime show, which uh, she declined to, I don't know if she officially declined it, but she was on stage in the pre-game uh, festivities in the week leading up to it with Patriots owner Robert Kraft, which was hilarious. Um, being you know in Atlanta, Super Bowl, very hip hop friendly city, it made sense that that she'd be everywhere. Lil John as well, you know, is an uh, Atlanta guy, so that was fun to watch. Um, even though the Super Bowl wasn't great, I'm, I'm glad we could uh, extract some some content out of it. Um, very timely, and now that the football's over, what? I mean, football's been over for you for a while as a Packers fan. You're, you know, you're I mean, to- I really, I, I got hyped on the Matt Lafleur bandwagon, and now it's we're just on the up and up. But okay. yeah, we're NFL is coming to a close. One, it's, it's done. One more Packers note um, that I don't think we've talked about yet off off the air, but Illinois today just lost one of their offensive coaches, their offensive line coach, to the Packers. And then get this, it's Luke Butkus. So. Dick Butkus's uh, relative, I think, nephew. No way. So we've got a, a Butkus coaching for the Packers. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Well, crazier things have been happening I, I, in 2019. I mean, I, I would love to hear the conversation between Dick Butkus and, and Luke <laughs> on that one. Like, is that is he excommunicated from the family now? Like, what what's the protocol there? I, I have to – maybe I'll reach out uh, on Twitter to see. In line of the nuttiness, though, I mean, talk about another professional sport just, like, blowing up right now, the NBA deadlines. They nearly stole the talk of the NFL week. I mean, they they literally upstaged the NFL Super Bowl week with all their crazy deadline news because or lack thereof. Well, because <laughs> and Anthony Anthony Davis saying that he wanted to be traded, which now we're past the deadline and he wasn't traded. Um, that really got the rumor mill going and got pretty much sports Twitter focused on the NBA even during the NFL's. Yeah, NBA week. Twitter just completely stole the limelight from the NFL. So but. you know, being a Bulls fan. <laughs> They're doing goofy stuff right now. Like I, R.I.P. Jabari. Yeah, whatever. Like I, <laughs> all I care about is getting a uh, the number one pick coming up and, and drafting maybe a Zion Williamson, whatever. So I'm not that too concerned with um, the NBA draft. Or I'm sorry, the NBA trade deadline. I don't know as a Blazers fan or just as an NBA observer like you've been. You've been probably more in the league than I have been lately. Did anything intrigue you or jump out to you from the last? Uh, I guess, you know, week and then 24 hours especially. I mean, we recently just got rid of a, a big 10 alum, Caleb Swan again. He's going down to the Kings. Oh, okay. Wow. So that that literally happened today. and um, So knock one off the, the uh, big know, 10 so leaderboard <laughs> for the, the Blazers. And then we also got rid of Stauskas from Michigan. So that's two. Yeah. So I don't know <laughs> if you guys have the big 10 supremacy anymore. The rationale for my original fandom choice is gone, but my loyalty is steadfast. You're too, you're too deep in it, in it now. Okay. I'm at too much. Yeah, so we got Rodney Hood, and um, from the Kings for Caleb, we got LeBissier. So Scott LeBissier from Kentucky. I remember him a couple years ago. So nothing that exciting for the Blazers, unfortunately. Well, I'm looking forward to your uh, first or second round exit as like a six or seven seed. Just you know, that's what the Blazers always do. For, as an putting this pessimism in the world that I'm not we'll, having. We'll revisit it in May, and uh, we'll see what's up. But for, I'm just you know, I'm an, I'm a jaded NBA fan right now because my Bulls. Um, can't seem to even put one foot in front of the other. So they're just tripping over themselves. <laughs> Although so. maybe we didn't have the most exciting trade deadlines. At least Evan Turner put out a, a nice little yeah. clap to yeah. uh, Robbie Hummel. Yeah, so that's uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That happened just a couple hours ago. Um, we're taping on Thursday, so if you're listening on Friday. It's breaking news. After, uh, so Robbie Hummel's been doing a funny pregame video series with his broadcast partner on ESPN, uh, Jason Benetti, who's the Chicago White Sox play-by-play announcer as well. Uh, Robbie did a little mimicking a little clowning of uh, the current, I'll say James Harden-esque culture of one-on-one play where you dribble about 20 times and uh, have like a crazy step-back shot and and Hummel did a good reenactment of that on Ohio State's floor because he's calling the Ohio State game Thursday night. So Benetti tweeted that out, it got amplified and then it caught the attention of Evan Turner like like you brought up and I'm trying to remember what Turner said, I think he said, like, get this nonsense off, yeah. off my court or something like <laughs> He that. wasn't having it. So rivalries die hard across the Big Ten, I'd say. And, yeah, and it's funny just because those two guys were great players at the same time, and it's always good to see them in still a relatively recent era of Big Ten basketball 
Yeah, we're calling that recent. And then meanwhile, this past week here at the network, we had signing day for incoming football players. And they were born in the year 2001. Yeah, signing day part two, um, now with the the double signing day system that uh, is used, happened on Wednesday. And we always do it big here for signing day. And for the first time, though, in a few years at least, I don't think it's been done since I've worked here, we brought in recruits to the office to be on TV, and then we got to uh, do some digital segments with them as well. So if you're you know, a Big Ten football fan, check out on social media our digital... Uh, Huge plug. Our, yeah, our digital executions that will be coming out on Twitter, maybe Facebook, Instagram as well in the next few days with some of these recruits. It was great having them in the office. They're really fun, but they were just um, born in the uncanny year of two thousand and one. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, though. Like two thousand one, that's that puts me in perspective. Like that, I'm actually not in these kids. We just like zone anymore in that weird gray area of where of relating to like both the generation before and after us. Yeah, but like a lot of these, a lot of these boys, like, did they watch a VHS? Like, do they know what so. dial-up internet is? I, I bet they're on the very end of DVDs. Like, 2000. So when were you born? 94. We're both. We're both 94. Yeah. Okay. So we're you know same pretty much upbringing. I'm, I'm assuming, but yeah, like these kids probably have no concept of like a cell phone before iPhones. Absolutely not. What else do they not? I mean, did they watch like? Do they know what Rocket Power is? Or I doubt it. Hey Arnold, probably not. Rugrats, like I, I think some of the shows like Arthur and SpongeBob that kind of create crafted my um, childhood TV habits, I think are still around to this day. But you're right, like those old Nickelodeon shows. Um, Fairly Odd Parents is one. Oh my gosh, that was a, that was a favorite. I don't know if that's still on anymore. Um, what else was like a? Or like, remember before we were even allowed to get phones, like those Firefly phones. Like, did those even exist for See, them? I don't even. That's even before me. I don't know. <laughs> I've, the first one I remember is the Nokia like brick phone. So, um, it's crazy though. T nine texting, yeah, not a thing. Like, two thousand one officially puts us, I think, in a different you know stratosphere. Like, I I still felt like when I was talking to them that I could yeah how relate to give, them. Give us some fun yesterday, comments. but. Um, you know, maybe to them it's like I'm appearing like the Steve Buscemi character, that, the <laughs> meme that's like, "How do you do, fellow kids?" So, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what were some what were some funny moments from yesterday with with the guys. One thing that jumps out, I guess, after thinking about it, is we had them do for uh, you know a little fun social media video. Choose either or uh, of like you know culturally relevant things or just like things that, that are in everyday life so for example we had them choose would you rather watch a movie in netflix or in theaters do you prefer it uh always light outside or always dark would you rather have pizza forever or tacos forever that thing that type of thing so give us some results the one well the one that jumped out to me was we asked if you had to post to instagram story or snapchat story only what would it be and i think almost all of them except for maybe one we had 10 kids in said Snapchat story, which to me just goes totally against my evolving habit of how I've used my social media. I don't know about you. I mean, I would tend to say I, I post maybe too much across all platforms, okay. but you know, that's just one stance. I would totally agree with you though. Like, do you post an Instagram story more than Snap? Yeah, story, yes. But I feel like they're still communicating via Snapchat a lot, you know? Like, and I still do on Snapchat too, but I just feel like, so Snap kind of came up with the stories, right? They came up with the concept. Instagram, I think, improved it. And then just as far as, you know, my consumption habits have gone, I feel like my followers and the people I follow have gone more and more to Instagram stories. Right. And right. I post more. If I'm going to choose between the two, I'm going to go to Instagram now just because I think they've done a better job. But it's interesting to hear, you know, these kids are posting the Snapchat stories. Are, like, do they more. still do Twitter? Like, is that around? We didn't even ask them really Twitter stuff because, like... I kicked to that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, they're all on Instagram, and I feel like that's, like, hot... <laughs> or so platform you thought. for that demographic, <laughs> but I just thought that was interesting. I don't know. No, yeah, that's people nuts. listening could think that's like <laughs> this is the most boring, give us give us your feedback boring here. <laughs> discussion ever. But I just I don't know. No, that was relevant. that was the I one mean, that gave me the uh, you know, the eyebrow raise. So I yeah, think. National Signing Day it was cool. Um, every year that comes around now, it's just going to remind me um, that I'm getting older. As you pointed out at the beginning, closer and closer <laughs> to thirty. Oh so my gosh, five five years away. So we're approaching it. But um, you know, it's been. An eventful, uh, eventful week with the Super Bowl. You know, we got Valentine's Day coming up. We can maybe uh, have some fun with that next week and, and maybe relate uh, our Big Ten discussions to 
everyone's favorite holiday. We know everyone loves Valentine's Day. It's, you know, it's the best. Live for the love. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. Colleen, do you have anything else to add before we sign off another call for the culture segment? We've got some probably crazy Badger hoops coming up against Michigan on Saturday. So mm-hmm, The rematch. It's a, the rematch in Ann Arbor. So uh, fingers crossed for my boys. All right. And well, maybe some more Ethan Hep's ass. Good luck to all our teams. That's All, all, all the teams. All the teams. Yeah. Right, right, right. Colleen, you can, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll catch you on Saturday in your Badger Red. But um, until then, we'll sign off. And uh, another, another good segment, Volume 3. See you later. All right. All right. Thanks once again to... Cliff, Harold, and Colleen for contributing to the episode. Um, thanks to everyone out there as well for listening. If you listen through all three, uh, really appreciate it. If you just listen to one or two of the, the segments, appreciate that as well. But um, you know, we're trying to cover all our bases here and give everyone a good variety of content to consume here on the Take Ten Podcast. And uh, hopefully, we did that in a way that makes everyone want to hang around and, and listen to the end and listen to me ramble on here. So couple more things to give out before we sign off uh thank you to Wes white and julie bronder for producing the show as always uh one final shout out to everyone out there for listening and we'll get back with you most likely next week here on the take 10 podcast talk more uh, big 10 hoops and we'll get another great guest lined up and we'll knock it out so thanks once again and we'll talk to you soon here on the take 10 podcast